Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Are we live? We are live, Dr. Cohen, with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I'm Lauren Taylor, joined with the host, Dr. Jason Cohen. Hello. Hi. So have you been watching the Olympics? Not really. Have you? Well, yeah, I know you've been super busy because you've been on call this week, but I've tried to watch some of it. It's really difficult um, in our time zone. Is it? Yeah, because I think the events start at like 3 a.m. And in the morning, like, even if I try not to like look at the news or the results, it's like I, I see what happens. So it's not even that fun anymore. And like mm. when I can watch it, I'm like, well, I already know who won. Mm. Well, I, I, uh, I just said, yeah, like you said, I've been pretty busy since I'm back. I'm paying the price for my vacation right now. Well, I did. It's funny because you sent me, um, you were like, look at this Olympian who's also in med school. And that was one of the few competitions I actually caught last Saturday. It was fencing. I think that might've been like the first time I saw it's called foil fencing um, at the Olympics. And her name is Lee Kiefer, and she won gold. And she's the she's still in med she's in medical school right now, which is wow. very cool. Which I didn't know until you told me that, but I did yeah. see her fence, and she was awesome. And that's pretty cool. And you think she's going to be a surgeon because she's a fencer? You think that'll translate into? <laughs> oh, it didn't say. So I don't know. Um, it said that her husband is also a fencer. He won bronze at the Rio Games. And there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's cool now that they got rid of the rule where they said, like, college athletes can't make money. Because I was reading about SUNY Lee, who just won the Golden Women's All-Around Gymnastics. And now she can go to college and still make a lot of money on endorsements and merchandise made with her image. She doesn't have to choose between going to college and a giant payday. Yeah, they people wanted to give me money for when I went to college, but I, I just said no. <laughs> you just said it wouldn't be right yeah people really wanted to but it, you know, it just <laughs> didn't make sense so. put like your face on t-shirts and you're like no let's exactly. just exactly yeah have have this weird geeky jew guy let's uh let's let's <laughs> just give him some money for no reason but i said no well, I, yeah, I guess you're missing the Olympics, but I can't really find anything at the times that I want to watch it. So I'd say you're not really missing anything. But it's exciting. The Olympics are exciting. I'm always, uh, it's always a fun thing. I, I, I wish I had more time, just more time to, to watch a little bit, you know. Well, let's get into what we did watch this week. On our set, uh, well... Saturday morning. This is a new thing for us. Saturday morning podcasting. Maybe it's going to become, uh, maybe we'll go to twice a week and do a Saturday morning or maybe just even once a week. I kind of like the Saturday morning. What do it's you almost think? like Saturday morning cartoons, but instead we review medical TV shows. There you go. Gross anatomy. Drinking my morning coffee too. Love it. Cheers. Don't have my coffee, but I wish I did. Oh, uh, okay. So on the last episode, we decided that we were going to review New Amsterdam. That was going to be, that show's currently on. It's going into its fourth season. And we decided based on the tagline that that was the one we wanted to watch. The tagline for that show is a new medical director breaks the rules to heal the system at America's oldest public hospital. And that's all we really knew about it. So give me some of your initial reactions to the show, to the pilot. Well, I immediately 
love the fact that it took place in New York because I'm a New Yorker originally and I love most things coming out of New York, right? What did you think of that? Yes, I was I was a little confused about like the UN, the Rikers, like how it was all connected to a hospital. But right. They kind of explain it. So I immediately I love the whole New York thing. Um, and then he kind of reminds me of the guy from Lost. What's what's the guy's from Lost's name? He does. He Matthew Fox. I didn't think about that till you just said that, but he looks like that guy. I right away thought, oh, Matthew Fox guy. You know, and, and I wonder if like when they're casting it, they're like Matthew Fox kind of guy. Let's let's find a Matthew Fox guy. Well, what was nice about it is I didn't know him from anything. So, you know, right. like, I didn't have any like perceptions of like what I thought the show was going to be based on his character, where I did for the other show we reviewed, The Resident. I had seen that guy and he usually played like a copy guy. So I kind of expected uh, that. I didn't know that guy either. But I and I certainly didn't know this guy. But as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, Matthew Fox. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so I looked him up. His name's Ryan Eggold. And the only thing, I think he's been in like the blacklist is the biggest thing he was in before, but yeah. I've never seen it. So, you know, there's definitely in, in watching all of these shows, there's definitely like certain recipe and, and stuff that you have to throw in, you know, the, the whole kind of beginning, um, you know, montage kind of thing or segue or whatever you call it kind of is like a lot of the shows that we see, don't you think? Yeah, I guess it's like starting a tempo and the tempo always is doctors are the busiest people on the planet, Maybe. which might be true. Or, well, I guess he's a medical director, but he would have been a surgeon, I'm assuming. Surgeon. I, I couldn't tell from the pilot what kind of doctor he is. I My guess is he's also an emergency room doctor or an internal medicine doctor. They, they, didn't, they didn't say in the pilot, like what yeah. kind of doctor originally he was. No, they didn't. He certainly is very much a jack of all trades, which is a little, un, you know, so right away, a, a guy who becomes a medical director these days is usually someone who's not that clinically oriented, uh, maybe a good doctor, but, but usually in order to become a medical director, you, you know, have gone the business route or the administrative route. And, and you know, so it's funny, like he's like a real doctor who's yet also the medical director. And, and I, I think just in the real world, that's pretty rare that, a, that someone who's a really good, active, busy, know-it-all doctor is also a medical director. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really rare in the real world. You know, it's, you know, there's that whole saying, you know, those that can't do teach, you know, kind of thing. And to some degree, there's some truth to that, that you know, although there are rare people, like Brett Ratner had said when we interviewed him, that there are the rare people who, who could do it all. But he had said, you know, some direct, when he was talking about directors, some, some are, you know, everybody kind of has their own little thing. You know, some are great storytellers, some are good technically, you know, that whole different combination of, of stuff. Um, right. And then he was like, the rare ones are Spielberg, who can like write and create and direct. Right. But, it, but at least it's rare in my mind, it's, it's rare in medicine that someone who's that great a doctor also is allowed to become an administrator. So I kind of, uh, after watching it, I'm like, we have to know more about this guy and what his story is, you know, which is just, you know, he, he's like a Superman. Like, how could he be Superman? Well, yeah, I don't know. And I looked, I looked that up, too, because I wanted to ask you about a medical director, because right away, the person taking him around the hospital was telling him that you're the fifth medical director we've had in five years. 
Right. So I wanted to ask you, how long do medical directors usually last? Are they always coming and going? They can be churned out like that in in like crappy, dinky hospitals, like small little hospitals that have a lot of turmoil and changes. But I think in a really big hospital like that, I, I, I think things don't move that quickly. You know, you know, the whole, it almost takes a whole year to find a medical director sometimes, you know, a search. It could take six months to a year. So a hospital like that, I don't, I don't know how realistic that is, that there are five directors. You know, it's funny at the hospital where I am, they, they hired a, a new anesthesia chief a couple of years ago that took months and months and months to find. And he hung around for a while and then um, quickly left because I think that the anesthesiologist kind of used that job as a stepping stone okay. to get another job. And now there's a whole other search that lasted also about a half a year and there's a new one coming on. But but that's rare that that happens. That, that's not the norm. Well, what would, so a medical director seems like the very top. What would you do after that? Like, what would the promotion be? After medical director? Yeah. You could then become like the CEO of a hospital, you know? Okay. Yeah. And you never had any interest in going that route? Who, me? Yeah. You actually like doing surgery. No, I like doing surgery, but I also like, you know, I built our practice, you know, the surgery group of LA. So I also really like the administrative side of stuff. I, I like, I do like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, a lot of, a lot of stuff about medicine and careers is kind of just for, sometimes it, it's planned, but sometimes it's just serendipity. You know, you, you have this opportunity, you take it and you, and you go that way. And that's kind of always, at least for me and, and a lot of doctors that I talk to in our pre-med program that I that I run, it's a lot of times you kind of you see some kind of opportunity, you take it and you see how far it goes and 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 that's that's what happens a lot of times. So okay. I don't know. I I I never say never. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so I looked it up, but this is actually based on a, a memoir, based on someone's like true story. So Dr. Eric um, Mannheimer, I hope I'm saying that right. He wrote a book based, it's called 12 Patients, Life and Death at Bellevue Hospital. Oh, uh, so it's based on Bellevue. Okay. Yeah. And apparently he spent 15 years as the hospital's medical director. Oh, wow. So he actually lasted. And I, I'm sure, I mean, like you said, like it probably took a long time for like the actual search and all that stuff for him to take a job, but for TV, they have to just make it faster. Right. Um, so interesting. So Bellevue is NYU is, is the hospital that's associated with New York university, NYU. And it's the, it's kind of like the County arm of New York university. Um, kind of like where I trained in Brooklyn, there was downstate state university in New York, at Brooklyn, and then the county arm was called Kings County, which is kind of the equivalent of uh, of Bellevue. Very similar kinds of hospitals. Which is why I got so excited when I read that some of the scenes, I think, for the first season were filmed in Kings County. That's what he said. That is cool. I I didn't notice Kings County, but it's been so long since I've been in Kings County, and there were a lot. Actually, when I was there, a lot of Kings County was in these old amazing buildings you know really old buildings huge buildings where they had like a tuberculosis ward which almost doesn't exist anymore and and you would go through these chambers you know to get in and put on special 
you know, now everybody knows what an N95 is, but back then, you know, two years ago, no one knew what an N95 and gowning and PPE was. So it was this whole big deal. We'd go into the TB ward that was just for tuberculosis patients, which is not a common thing, especially in New York, um, in America. Um, and that was pretty cool. There was a whole prison ward where we would actually go. So we didn't have to go to Rikers to take care of patients. We had our own prison ward at Kings County. So you'd go in and you'd go, you know, there were guards and you'd go through jail cells and, you know, you'd go into one uh, chamber, the, the gates would close, then the next one would open. You'd, it, was a, it was an amazing experience being in Kings County. So that might have been more what they filmed there because that's what they were showing. They showed like, it seemed like the doctors were just going into a ward. Like they weren't actually like leaving to get in their cars to go to Rikers. It seemed like, that was what it was. And I was going to ask you, is, is that real? Have you ever seen anything like that? You, you've done in that. The pilot? In yeah. The pilot? Yeah. Why did I miss that? They just showed people going through security. I don't think it was like a big storyline, but it looked like they were going into a jail. I don't even remember that part. I, I'll have to re-watch that. But granted, I was watching the pilot, like waiting for my surgery to start on my phone uh, out, you know, outside the operating room. So, so maybe I wasn't paying full attention to it, but I don't remember that. So I'll have to look, I'll have to kind of walk. Skim yeah. It they had like a section, like you were talking about that looked like that. So maybe it comes up in like a future episode, but I was like, okay. what is this? Does this really exist? And you explained exactly what it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll have to watch it again, but it was really cool. It was scary, but it was really cool. Back so what, so like are patients like handcuffed to the bed? How do you treat a patient? after you go through that security no they weren't handcuffed to the bed they it was so surreal i and i i guess it's still that way you know rather than at a hospital where you go to a hospital room and where i am there's no such thing as a double room every room is a private room which is crazy but you know normal hospital rooms you think of you know there are two beds in the room and so where i trained at king's county hospital in the prison ward and actually even in the main hospital You'd walk into a big room and the there were just beds. It was kind of like a barracks, a military barracks, and there were just beds separated by curtains. And that that and then so in the prison ward, they had that too. Um, but there were no curtains. If you wanted to have some privacy, you'd wheel in, you know, one of those wheel things with a divider. Um, and in the middle of the room were two security guards, you know, one out on the floor and one like in a box, you know, in a secured area. And so you were in there. I you never felt, at least for me, when I was over there, there was a little scary feeling, but you, you never felt, you, I never felt in danger because the, these guys were really happy that you were there taking care of them. You know, mm-hmm. at, at least that's how I felt. They, they were very grateful that for the most part is my recollection that, that someone was there actually giving a crap and, and wanting to take care of these guys because they were there for them for the most part. I mean, they all had significant serious medical issues. So um, other than when I took care of the, the pre nine 11 terrorists that I, I, did I tell that story? Um, yeah. but that was a whole different, amazing, crazy, surreal experience at Kings County. Have you never um, told that story? You don't want to tell it? Should we save it for another episode? Save it for, All right, another, we'll save episode. It for another episode. Okay. We'll stick to the TV shows.
So in the TV pilot of New Amsterdam, the medical director, Dr. Max Goodwin, goes in, he talks to the staff, he's going to change things. Right away, he fires the whole cardiothoracic team. Cardiothoracic surgeons. He, yeah. he fires like the highest echelon, the, the highest pinnacle of doctor at a hospital is, is probably neurosurgeon and cardiothoracic surgeons. They're, they're the top. And he fired them because they're the only ones who care about making money. <laughs> yes. So he fires them because, yeah, they, they put like billing over patients. Right. Have you ever seen a mass firing like that in a new meet and greet? No, <laughs> that does not exist. I, 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 that there's no way, there's no way today that that could exist. Zero way. There, there is no, unless like you're building like some cute little clinic in the middle of nowhere at a big hospital. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the priorities are the dollars and not, and not the patient care. They, they, you know, they try to, they try to, make sure that within the dollars you're taking care of the patients. But the reality is it's all about billing. Mm-hmm. I have to say it really is. And I, they maybe, do. I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but, but it, it's a business and, and, and it can easily be a losing business if you're not good at your billing and making sure. Um, and it's big, big, big business. And, and, and we are taking care of patients and that's what's important. So in order to survive, you, you, you know, so much so that there's whole, you know, new jobs and careers that are coders and, and the whole electronic medical record wasn't developed so that doctors have an easier life. It's developed so that billers and hospitals and, and insurance companies could capture all the potential dollars that, that are out there. And so it's fantasy land. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure how much like is, is actually based on his memoir. I know he, he did have a lot to do with like being there for the pilot, but I'm sure yeah, a lot of it is fantasy. I don't imagine he actually fired all those people, but to the pilot's credit, they do reference that. Like you're going to get a lot of lawsuits. Like you can't just do that, but he did it. Yeah. But, you know, interestingly, we talked about, um, we had Sam Shem, the author on our podcast, uh, of the famous House of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so his follow-up book that we talked about was called Man's Fourth Best Hospital, where, funny, you know, the same thing, the fat man, who's the lead character, tries to set up a similar kind of thing, a, a little clinic, a small clinic within this hospital system setting um, with the goal of Real patient care. Sorry, the dogs are in the background. Oh, you're fine. That's probably going to happen to me too. Okay. With the goal of real patient care rather than billing, you know, so similarities. And that was kind of cool to see. And actually the, the, you know, that kept me the lead character. What's his name in in our movie, in our show? Uh, Dr. Goodwin. Max. Max. Max is the fat man, basically. He's the same, same kind of role. Because the fat man also was a character who was this phenomenal doctor, but in the book, he became an administrator. Okay. He wasn't really a doctor anymore. Still, you know, was a smart guy and everything, but, you know, it was more realistic that the fat man, you know, really segued to being an administrator. Whereas this guy, you know, shows up in his scrubs and his lab coat, 
you know, and hey, I'm going to be a real doctor too. But, but great drama. Yeah, no, it, it creates for great drama. And I feel like another thing with the medical shows is like always right away to you see that they can't handle family life and their career. Like right. his, his wife calls him and she's pregnant and she's like, you have uh, 12 weeks like to get your act together before the baby's born. And he just took this new job. So like right away, there's like a deadline pressure to the career. Right. And, and the other thing um, that's funny is back to, you know, how he shows up in Scrubs. The reality about Scrubs and everything is that we're, most hospitals or clinics, whatever, they actually, you're not supposed to be in Scrubs. You know, like the rules of a place are you need to be in regular clothing and you only change, like, like when I trained, we were not allowed to wear Scrubs unless we were in the operating room. And then we had to change out of our Scrubs when we were out and about it, it was and a lot of places have that rule you 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 can't be walk around in your same scrubs with the presumption that you know the scrubs are dirty that um, makes me feel better because i've seen uh, doctors outside wearing their scrubs and i'm always like isn't that not sanitary like you're sitting by a homeless person right but the reality is it's fine the truth is it's probably fine because you're wearing a lab coat and you're putting on a gown when you are doing stuff it's just clothing even though that that's a rule in a lot of places, but, but in a, such a high exposure place like that, you would think, you know, he would be concerned about infection control and would at least change into his work scrubs and change out of his work scrubs to his, you know, leisure scrubs. But I must confess, I'm someone who wears scrubs all day, every day too. So I'm guilty as, as charged. No, but that's a good point from, uh, a doctor because I didn't think about that, but he also referenced how his sister died in that hospital. I think because she caught an infection in the hospital right. and then he's going around wearing his scrubs. Like I didn't even think about that. Right. Right. Like if he were really, you know, but, but he's not, a, he seems like he's not a literature guy. He's more of an action doer guy. I, he's a cool character. I like him a lot. Yeah. I, yeah. He looks like he's got some depth. Oh, another thing that they said in the meeting, the staff meeting, they're like, what do you want to see change? And the head of emergency, Dr. Lauren Bloom, goes, I want to no waiting rooms. Just go uh, admin to, or like just get people in beds, like no waiting rooms. Yeah. And he's like, done. I'm like, that's something everyone wants. Like every patient wants to hear and see. That can't be possible. It can't be that easy. I don't know, but yeah, but that's cool. And th- that reminded me of Ted Lasso a little bit. Are you watching, you're, you're watching Ted Lasso? Yeah, he, he does seem like a nice, positive guy. No, I don't mean that. I mean, Ted Lasso walks in, you know, on the first day and with the suggestion box. And it's like, this is a suggestion box. What do you want? You know, and they're like, better showers, you know, uh, done. You know, better uh, vending machines, done. And she, yeah. and someone says, better food, done. It, you know, it was, it was very much the same kind of thing. Yeah, you don't want to be the guy that can just be like done, and somehow it is. And someone yeah. took healthy food, and then you got healthy food in there immediately. Right. I'm gonna go try that at my office and see if I can do. That. <laughs> yeah, you should have a suggestion box. That's gonna, yeah, it's gonna go well for you. Right. The reality at a at a real hospital, if you try to change something, I, actually, what's interesting is some hospitals try to do these things called tests of change, where they'll make a little change you know, on a small scale in a, in one area and then test it, see how it works. And then if it works, you know, then they blow it up to the whole area. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do commend certain hospitals for doing that, but, but the reality is nothing happens fast at a big bureaucratic, bureaucratic hospital by things happen so slowly, unfortunately for good yeah. or bad. 
Um, then there was another character that you meet at the beginning. It took, I had to like look it up because I didn't really understand what her role was. Apparently she's chief of oncology, Dr. Helen Sharp. Um, she's the one that's like, doctor. yes. So she's a yeah. celebrity doctor that does all the PR for the hospital that he's like, you need to be here or you're fired. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go make you some money right now by doing this TV show. And then I'll be back. Yeah. And my question is, is there like somebody like that for your hospital? Is there just like people you know, that do all the shows? Interestingly, there, there's, there, there's a guy who, who actually I, I consider a friend um, who's brilliant, who's a great doctor, who's a medical oncologist. Um, his name is David Agus. And he's, he's on the news all the time now in LA. You know, he's a, he's a news correspondent for health-related stuff. Anything COVID, he, he's, and he's written a bunch of books. He's an amazing guy. He's brilliant. Um, oddly enough, he, you know, he's, he's bounced around to a bunch of different places because it's hard for a hospital to, to deal with guys like that who, who control a lot of viewers and people and money to some degree. Um, hospitals don't necessarily know what to do with those kind of people. Um, but he, David Agus is amazing. I, I, he's such a great role model and to some degree, even a mentor. I, I wish he were more of a mentor. Um, we got to look him up. Actually, we got to get him on the podcast. We got to try. Um, yeah, no, again. I would love it. So basically you're saying Dr. Helen Sharp could be a real character. Like could be a real character. Okay. The only thing that's different is, is I think, is that, um, and, and he talks about it at the end of the pilot, is she really isn't doing any medicine anymore. She's, you know, she's just doing the celebrity piece, which some yeah. doctors do, like Sanjay Gupta. I don't, I don't think he does medicine at all anymore, right? I, I think he's just- I wouldn't guy. imagine, yeah. Right. But, but this guy, Agus, he's still doing a lot of clinical trials, a lot of medicine. He's, he's still doing it all which is amazing. I, he's a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most, most doctors who are, especially oncologists are still kind of doing it all. And, and there's certainly, um, there, there's even a female doctor I'm thinking of who's a cancer doctor too, who has a celebrity kind of cachet, a word I don't love, but I'm using it. Um, and I, and I know she's been she's been on the media a lot, but I don't think to the extent and degree that this this character in the pilot is. OK, my last question I have for you is the character, Dr. Lauren Bloom, the chief of the ER. She comes into the ER and realizes the patient who was pronounced dead and they are seemingly wheeling down to the morgue isn't really dead. No, I'm sure there are cases like that. And, and you occasionally hear about stuff like that. Personally, I've never seen that, but we've certainly seen people who code and we bring them back. Right. You know, but, but never, but I, I, it's got to be based on some real thing. So, yeah, I read a lot of it was taken from Dr. Eric Manheimer's memoir that we discussed. The cool thing, too, in the pilot is that when they help resuscitate this woman, the patient that they thought was dead, they bring her to Dr. Kapoor. So we get introduced to this guy, this new character, an older neurologist. And it took me a minute, but then I realized I know that actor. He's in Silver Linings Playbook. He plays a psychiatrist. And I love that movie. And he's and I looked him up and he's been in like 500 films in India. His name is Anupam Kerr. That guy, actually, now that I remember, that guy's great. And he goes to the sports game with them, too. He goes to yes. the... Uh, 
and and he when they get into the fight, he's wearing the jersey. Yeah, that guy was a great character. Yes, and so yeah, he's a he's a big actor. Um, That's funny. I recently re on on our way home from Africa, the Silver Linings Playbook was one of the movies, and I deliberately just rewatched the end. You know, the scene where they do the dance, uh, and then you know get get a horrible score, but they celebrate because they yeah. won because they won the bet. Yeah. And that the whole end of it, that movie is great. I think so too. That's so I was like, I know him. And I was like, oh yeah, because I've seen Silver Lines playbook so many times. Yeah. Great movie. Great scene. I love that that dance scene, you know, where yeah. you know he tries to lift her and her face mm. and her crotch is in his face. It was great. Yes. So yeah. right away, I guess because of my bias for Silver Lines playbook, he's the he's the character I would want to watch the most. Um this Dr. Kapoor. Interesting. Huh. So. And so I found what I found interesting was the 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 cardiac surgeon that he rehires the black guy and mm. then the Jewish emergency room doctor that relationship and I and I and I love how I I think they hit it I I love how you know he said he tells her he doesn't want to be with her he likes her but he doesn't want to be with her because she's not black and I thought that was that was cool to see because I think that's probably real you know because I know Jewish people kind of feel like. I did not all, but some feel like ideally they want to wind up with a Jewish person. So I ha- I hadn't seen that in a TV show or movie, you know, a, a black person say that. Um, yeah. No, I, I like that too. I thought that was great. I, and I hope, and, and, and I, and I like the interaction and I, and I like just the whole, everybody. I like the fact that he had this plan and image of what his life would be, which I'm sure you did. And I'm sure I did. And, it's my life is no nowhere near what I what I envisioned it was going to be. I had no, uh, you know, it's it totally yeah. was different. And I think at a certain point in our lives, we say to ourselves, or maybe we don't, we say to ourselves, okay, that thing I see is really, you know, ridiculous. Who knows? Just go with it. And because I, I I had a moment in my life with that, you know, where I was like. Okay, you know, this ideal doesn't exist. You don't really know because there's no way to predict, even with the perfect da da da, it, it could go horribly sour. So just go with it. But I, I really like that scene, you know, where, where he talks about, you know, what he, you know, I, I, thought it was a, I thought it was a nice scene. Well, now that you're saying that, I'm like, all right, I actually want to follow that character more. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah he was him. interesting. He didn't get that much screen time, but he was definitely. No, he did. Yeah, but I liked him. I like them. Yeah, because I forgot what they did spend a lot of time on was the that sick patient that they had to quarantine. They thought he had Ebola. Right. But I'm kind of like tired. I don't know if it's just like the pandemic or just because I've seen they use that in all the shows for dramatic effect. I was like, I don't really care about the storyline. Yeah. I don't know about you though, but like with each thing, I'm like, holy cow, they are cramming so much high stakes stuff. And I think the reality is in order for shows to make it today, you I guess you got to do that. I, I guess you can't go simple, you know, and you can't just so much stuff, you know, that he's getting a biopsy, right? Right. Uh, I'm sure you're, we're about yeah. to talk about that. Yes. So I guess that's why I couldn't even handle like the, the Ebola patient that didn't really have Ebola. I was like, this is a lot. Yes, I agree. Like I kind of just wanted to see more character development than more like crazy patient stories, but I guess that's just to hook you in 
or they're trying to like compete with shows like Grey's Anatomy that just shove everything in. But yeah. there's they didn't shove in anyone like having sex on the job, which I thought was uh, refreshing. That's a good point. There was no sex. There was talk about sex, but there was no yeah. sex. That's good. Yeah. Which I'm good. sure changes in future episodes, which is yeah. fine. But it was just nice not for that not to be all about the pilot. Good point. Yeah. It's not sexy. It's drama. Yeah. And but I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, talk now that I just segued into the guy showing up and going to some random stranger, an emergency room doctor, no less, letting them do a throat biopsy on him in the emergency room would never happen. Yeah. So for our audience that may not have seen the new Amsterdam pilot, the main character, medical director, Dr. Max Goodwin asks, Dr. Bloom to do a throat biopsy on him right after the staff meeting. But only that, you would go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. You wouldn't. I, I, it's kind of weird that he went up to some random stranger. Like, you, like, why isn't he finding an ENT and going to their office? But why is he showing up on the first day of work to go get a throat biopsy? Like so much, they crammed in so much crazy stuff. Yeah, that tied into the cliffhanger. We find that out at the very end. When Dr. Helen Sharp returns and tells Max he does have throat cancer, but you already knew that, didn't you? She says, and then you have to wait for the next episode to see how he's going to deal with all this. And a pilot episode full of so many things he now has to deal with. Right. I, I, I liked it a lot. I thought the characters were all compelling. It's fun. But I'm like, holy cow. And, and it got me, you know, it hooked me at all the right moments. They did a great job. But I'm like. Just so much stuff crammed That's, in there. Like, yeah, that so is how I felt crazy, too. right? It was just yeah. like each thing. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to be exhausted if I watch this whole <laughs> show. Especially because you're watching it on your on call week. <laughs> yeah. On your break. It's like, but I feel like I need to watch another episode now. Yeah, I think so. And you know what is interesting is Dr. Eric Mannheimer, the memoir the show was based on, had throat cancer. I did find that out, but I couldn't find out what age he actually was when he became medical director. I know he was medical director for 15 years, so he lasted a while, but I don't know what age he was when he started the job. And the actor playing the role seems so young to me to be a medical director. He was maybe 30, 31 years old when they filmed. You know, years ago, you it, it was possibly more common to be a medical director at a younger age. These days, at a small hospital, it, it's possible too. Um, but mid thirties, you know, depending on what your course was, it, it's not it's not impossible. Oh really? Um, it just seems like you would need so much more exp- experience. Yeah, it it's hard to say for sure. Okay, so all right, I'll just I'll go with it then. Yeah, go with it. Go with okay. it. I, it's definitely make believe though. It's totally make believe. Yeah, but I I guess it's. But fifteen years ago, it could have been possible. You know, when not when people were less sophisticated. You know, now the reality is most medical directors have an MP, a master's in public health or an MBA or, and you really need that today in a big institution, some extra degree. So maybe he has it, you know, they didn't even tell us, you know. Maybe yeah, I think some. in real life he might, might have that, but yeah, you're right. Like the character, they didn't really give us enough information about it. I guess that's part of the hook too. It's like, you want to learn more about his life. So keep watching. Yeah. All right. So. Um, on IMDb, it has 8.1 out of 10 stars. How many stars would you give the show? How many How many does it have? 8.1, which is high, out of uh, 10 on 
IMDb user ratings. Mm. Yeah, I could give it in the sevens, maybe seven and a half. What do, what do you think? I think seven's fair. Yeah, maybe even 7.5. I, I mean, I wouldn't not watch it again. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, and what do you think of the uh, cancer doctor coming back? It, it kind of seems like they may, they, they kind of seem, there's there's definitely some flirt, like possible romance there too, right? I thought that too. So that's when I thought like, because it didn't really say that the girl on the phone was his wife until later on when she, I forgot. Yeah. So much happened. She actually came in the hospital because she was maybe going into labor early. Right. That was amazing this, too. Um, right. Craziness. So you're like, well, he definitely wouldn't leave his wife and this baby, but I did get some flirtatious vibes from those two doctors, Max and Helen. Yeah. I knew that that woman was his wife, but I just feel like, Oh, that that's that looks like it's setting up you know, someone to potentially be a love interest. I think so too. Yeah. They're both very good looking people. They look like they might be cast that way. Right. Right. What do you think of the whole psychiatrist? Uh, yeah, we haven't even got, there's just so much. I forgot. We haven't even gotten into that. I guess like that was, I don't know if it's at Bellevue or that was yeah. his experience too, was like, I think foster children, people in jail and like how everyone's treated differently in the system. Like, members of UN are treated differently. Yeah. So the foster angle aspect is just heartbreaking. I I mean, I always feel for kids in like foster care. So the psychiatrist yeah. was trying to help a foster kid in this episode. I, I like about that. I like I like the psychiatrist uh, character. It just mm-hmm. there's so much stuff, you know, they really introduce so much serious stuff right away. It yeah, kinda... that was that was really really serious it kind of didn't fit in there because as we were talking about it i kind of forgot about it but maybe in the future it will yeah yeah and i didn't get the whole thing about the neurologist with the the lady who was dead who wasn't dead what they were trying to show with his glasses on his head were they trying to show that he's senile like what 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 were they trying to show with that that he's a really smart guy still like like where are they going with that you know the guy from dead poets from um Silver Lines Playbook. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't know. I think they were trying to be like, is he a bad doctor? Like, and then he he discovers what's really wrong with this woman. So obviously he's. So he's a good doctor who's just a little forgetful. And maybe that'll be a thing down the road that he's a great and that they're going to have to deal with. Is that what they're setting up? You're sounding like a writer, probably. What's that? You're sounding like a writer, probably. There's probably a reason for it. And there you go. Yeah, we got to reach out to those guys. Okay, we'll do. But yeah, it was it was a good show. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. If only we had time just to sit and watch all these TV shows. I know. Well, hopefully you'll catch um, another episode of New Amsterdam. You'll catch at least part of the Olympics, maybe just a gold ceremony. I don't right. know. You want to watch Dr. Death, right? Yes, Dr. Death. So I listen to the podcast, so I know the story. Needs- right. Pretty horrifying, but um, it's on Peacock and it's um, Alec Baldwin's in it and Joshua Jackson who plays Dr. Death. I'm excited for you to watch it and actually see the full thing. Yeah. And then the other thing I, I saw that I want to watch is, I think it's a documentary about Anthony Bourdain that that recently came out. And I, I want to put that on our list or something. I just keep seeing headlines about it. Like they use this voice without permission. I, it's just like weird things. So I just need to watch it. Yeah. I want to watch that. Agreed. So let's put that on our list. Thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.